I'm not going to lie. I got like even more of a buzz going on than usual tonight. I started drinking <laughs> vodka at like Jesus five. Christ. So well, I, I'm completely sober, but for some reason I decided to start drinking black coffee at 8 p.m. at night. So oh, at, at this point, I'm ready to challenge God to a fist fight. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. You can definitely you can take the lead on this one then. That's all you. It's like, you know, either either I can defeat him and then I can lay claim to all that is earth and heaven, or I lose and I get sent to hell, in which case, Rush Limbaugh, I got something for you. <laughs> Rush and Reagan, fuck them both. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Tag team. <laughs> when you're done with them, you got to find Thatcher. The first gender neutral bathroom. Dude, it's great, like... You'll hear when I finish editing uh, the previous episode, but we spent a couple minutes talking about Reagan and Thatcher and just how they've set up this just hellscape that we live in now. Yeah. And I was remarking how I'm so happy that we decided to make our t-shirt design, the Reagan is Satan thing because yeah. of that. And just how appropriate it is because that motherfucker, like that really is what it comes down to. Like it was all him and Thatcher over across Dude. the pond. Like they just, they fucked everything up for everybody. Like. It really was. And it was like when we were diving into like the Mujahideen and the CIA, like helping destabilize Afghanistan because they were being supported by the USSR. It's like you really realize this whole fucking crazy imperialistic constant regime change war type shit really did start with that. It really did kind of start right there in Afghanistan. And it, it just really blows my mind how many terrible things in this world started with fucking reagan like he really is kind of to blame for 9-11 oh you're you're absolutely right like a hundred percent we didn't see the full effects of reagan's policies and actions until yeah. literally the early 2000s it's crazy yeah. how far it spans yeah who's the girl on twitter who's really popular like i think she's spooky socialist or savvy oh, yeah, socialist. Yeah, she, she's yeah, got yeah. like the super cool chick and she's been posting lately about how credit scores didn't exist until 1989 which <laughs> i didn't, I didn't know fucking either. know you know, I was born in 84. What the hell do I know? But like, apparently the way she expresses it too, is like, she's saying they've been trying this experiment out on us for the last 30 years. Like they had credit scores in a way, but it was like local. It was like, you know, restricted to your yep. township, like whoever actually knew you in person. So then that was racist by default. Because <laughs> yeah. like white cis dudes were obviously going to get a higher credit score <laughs> than like, because it was literally just a judge of character. Like, oh, you look like a trustable dude that I can loan some money to. Yeah. That really was how it was. You just walked into the bank and they kind of asked you a few questions. You're like, hmm, I think I'm going to give this guy $15,000. Which is crazy because, like, I thought that that was restricted to, like, the Wild West where you could, like, just kill somebody and then flee to another town and nobody would know. Like, it really is just up until computers. Dude, I've been hooked on Steely Dan because you fucks. Dude, Dude, I, I cannot it. wait. Like, you know, I'll bring you along, too, when we do the uh, Steely Dan episode with Caitlin and Cullen. I don't know shit. I just love it. It just sounds amazing Dude, in my ears. We ran the gamut. We recorded for three fucking hours. <laughs> and like we were that was the drunkest we've ever recorded by far, oh or at least for God. me. I don't know about you guys, but like we just kept going and like but we had such a good time talking to them. Like it was really sad to have to like let them go after the three episodes we did <laughs> yeah, with them. Yeah. Um it was, yeah, it was cool. we could keep bringing them back. I mean Oh yeah, definitely. I w I'm. Oh, we definitely yeah. will bring it back again. Yeah, I'm. I'm sad I missed it. I mean, I've had so much fun just listening to them, and I'm like, oh man, I would have had so much fun jumping in this shit show. But my only thing is, like, me and Caitlin both 
can rant for so goddamn long i'm like it, it, it's probably best i wasn't there for that one because oh my god good i luck. mean it might have been yeah. <laughs> yeah good luck i should hit them up and see if they want it uh for their vhs action rewind to be like dude do you guys want to cover demolition man mm. dude they would totally do it oh yeah love absolutely. To. i'm sure dude i fucking love that movie they're i mean everything they put out is like they're really funny they're just like they're very entertaining know, they're just super chill it's great to talk yeah. to them yeah i haven't yeah. listened to their podcast yet but i need to Amazing. All right, everybody. So, welcome back again to the Turn Left Podcast. I'm Mike, and I'm here again with Sterling and Ward. And tonight we have a couple special guests. We have the Johnny Cheese on TikTok. He's got some really hilarious videos on there. Also known as Scott in his everyday life. How are you doing, Scott? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good, man. Good to have you. And then we also have Reed Speed. How's it going, Reed? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And she is a DJ and a prominent music producer. She's very uh, active in the industry and also a leftist, so we're happy to have her on as well. Sterling, I think you actually know more about the music industry than I do, definitely, especially when it comes to electronic music. So if you'd like to just talk a little bit about, you know, Reed Speed and uh, how you guys have interacted before. Um, Yeah, like I was saying earlier, you know, Reed is a prominent figure for a long time in the industry. Pretty much everyone in the electronic industry knows who Reed is, who knows her record label, Play Me Records, and most DJs at some point, either actively releasing with her or even the biggest ones that anyone can name have probably cut their teeth with uh, her record label. Um, I don't know what more I can say besides the fact that I've been a fan, you know, as long as I've been going to electronic events, which, you know, now that I'm older, I'm kind of too old to really even leave my house, let alone go to electronic <laughs> events. But, you know, I, I had a bit of a DJ career myself. Um, I was signed to Mad Decent Records for a while. And that's how I ended up in South by Southwest and actually met her in 2015 playing one of their showcases. I have since become just a grumpy old man. (laughs) (laughs) I think that actually works. And then just to introduce, you know, to anyone who's unfamiliar, the Johnny Cheese, if you've not seen his videos on TikTok, he has the hilarious videos where he gets out of a truck or, you know, walks along the sidewalk (laughs) and strips off his clothes, uh, lip syncing to a conservative song. And I mean, it's just... I'm going to ask you about it as, you know, as we go on in the podcast, but it is just so fucking hilarious. Like, it's one of those things, like, it's so organic. Like, I can just actually picture a conservative doing that shit. Like, just stripping yeah. off his flannel and his cowboy hat and his trucker hat underneath the cowboy hat. Like, while he's angry about, like, just lesbian women existing, even though he also masturbates to lesbian porn. Like, all of it is just, it's so, it's chef's kiss. Just ironic and perfect. Well, thank it. you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like what do you what's your most viral video you put out there uh, like as far as plays the most, how high have the you gotten single up? most viral one is actually one of the first ones i put out it was like pov i'm a republican and okay. you just said cancer patients shouldn't go bankrupt or something and uh <laughs> i think it, it got 1.2 million likes and 5 million views i think uh and there's, oh, a, there's a few other high ones in there but i think that's the single highest yeah 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 that's fucking <laughs> <Thank you>. awesome <laughs> 
I noticed you got a pretty light Twitter presence. Why aren't you kind of like uh, Honestly, carrying over I to Twitter? I've thought about it a lot, but uh, I, I'm going to do it eventually. I'm going to do it eventually. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, yeah. My biggest presence is definitely on TikTok. And I think secondly is Instagram, but I definitely should shift to Twitter. I think it would be like kind of a different medium, you know, where I could make some jokes and stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of longevity in Twitter. For good and for bad reasons, you know, you can have those tweets resurfaced, you know, yeah. several years from now when they may not be as, uh, yeah. you know, acceptable as they are now. That's true. But it's, That's true. It's, it is a strange medium in that, like, you can make some really viral videos where you do something really funny. But, you know, I don't think that you have this problem. Like, I know you have videos where you have like mm -hmm. longer form videos where you will just talk mm -hmm. into the camera and just say things that you have to say. But it, it can still be difficult to translate that into 140 characters or whatever the limit is now where you use the multi tweets mm -hmm. or whatever. To yeah. just get your takes boiled down to such an essence, that's something I still have difficulty with. Sterling is much better at it than me. You know, he runs our Twitter and mm -hmm. he really has some good shit on there. I got to <laughs> applaud him at every chance I get. But yeah, certainly. I was just going to say, it, it always pisses me off because I don't pat myself on the back too often. But I do think I'm pretty witty. And it, there's nothing worse than when you make a tweet and you're like, God damn it, that's some <laughs> fucking gold. That's great. You get like fucking one reshare and one like. And I'm like, God damn it. I should, maybe I should have posted this at 6 p.m. or something. It just pisses me off. And then, then I like delete the app for a week. This past year with the political climate, I've lost over 1,500 followers on Twitter because of my, because of the politics that I participate in. Good. Wow. Yep. Yeah, good. Fuck those exactly. They were probably all liberals. Fuck them. Yeah, which is a hard decision to make in the entertainment industry. Like back when I was a DJ, I remember our management company. I, I posted one thing on Facebook one time criticizing Bush and my manager like hit me up and he's like, hey, zero political ever. Like as long as you're an artist, you cannot post anything political. And I just straight up was like, OK, well, that's fine. I won't do it. And if there is one <laughs> regret about my music career, which is long deceased, but if there is one regret about it while I had it, it's that I didn't use that platform to at least put a message out there. I think anyone that tells you that you should not be political if you're an artist they're full of shit and they're like in some they're in it for some capitalist shit and not for the art yeah. factor yeah. Mm -hmm. and like that is one of the most disgusting things about the music industry to me is that that mentality has has pervaded the whole thing to say oh you're an artist you shouldn't you shouldn't be outspoken politically like no one wants to hear that it's like what are you talking about rave music is protest music like we started this point. whole scene as a protest against all of the bullshit and now you're like no don't say that no 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 yeah i i almost feel like this trend of like um you know artists and musicians not being able to you know state their opinions on politics is almost kind of swaying away like I'm seeing more of these like really popular musicians, you know, uh, be a little more vocal about their views and about their beliefs. And I, I think it's really nice. I like seeing it. Great. Too. Ever since the Dixie mm -hmm. Chicks, they were the pioneers of that. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they were the original. They were the vanguard. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, fuck Bob Dylan. <laughs> hey, that hurts to even hear. <laughs> um, so that actually gets into one of the things that I really wanted to ask uh, Reed. If you could just tell us a little bit about your experience, you know, being someone who is more on the political side and, you know, willing to speak up about your political views in the music industry. I know that that, like you were saying, is very unwelcome. Um, you're supposed to be apolitical because you want to just gather as much of an audience as you possibly can. You want to appeal to as many people as you possibly can. Um, so what is it like and what has been your experience just 
being outspoken about your political views and being a musician? I mean, honestly, I have never subscribed to what you just described. Like, I've always been very outspoken about things. And maybe when I was younger, I wasn't so outspoken about politics because, you know, when you're younger, like these things don't affect you. So you don't pay as much attention. But as I got older and I learned more about the world and delved into how fucked up the world is, and especially like our country and how ass backwards we're pretending that we're like these purveyors of freedom and like we're not and I've just always been a person who calls it like it is and I feel like it's really hurt me my whole time in the industry just not even just about politics but being outspoken about everything you know being a woman and being mistreated being harassed having people you know tell you you can't do this or you can't do that I've always been outspoken about it. And people have, I've always been called by many people. They're like, oh, she's a bitch. She's so difficult. She's such a diva. She's this and that. But I don't know. I never got into art because I was trying to have a fan base and, (laughs) and, and be a brand. Like I'm not a brand. I'm a human being that makes art because I have things inside of me that I need to express and I want to share them with the world. And I want to help other people do the same. I want people to be paid fairly for their there are expressions and that's I've always tried to like instill this economy of joy and just be an alternative to everything that the music industry is yeah. to be like, no, you can be a good person. You can have strong opinions. You can have your own vision about how you want to see the world and we will help you. And there are people that you can find that are like that and want to see the world, like be a better place. And we want to hear about it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's the conundrum and the, just the paradox of being, in a capitalist hellhole and then trying to produce a product, maybe even with an anti-capitalist message. Like, it sounds like you're just trying to create art. And that is really so difficult, especially when everything has to be commodified. Yeah. You know, we run an anti-capitalist product right now and we're trying to market it to people. We're trying to reach people. <laughs> and if we're lucky, we get like, you know, a thousand, two thousand people a week listening to it. And there's nothing that you can do that will both make it successful and able to reach more people, but then also not follow the capitalist paradigm of how to expand a product or a business or something like that. Like you have to, you have to follow that paradigm because you are given no choice. Like we are all eating out of the trash can of capitalism, whether we like it or not. So it's just kind of what it comes down to. Very true. It's sad. It's true. But you know, in whatever ways that some of us and whoever can afford to can, We try to do that. We try to carve out that space for people to be authentic and not be worried about the the bottom line per se and not, you know, not try to make it all about the capitalist hellhole and try to make it way more about the music. Like we're lucky that we've built up a platform and we have, we managed to build an audience without pandering to anybody. So when you see our fans, like they're all real. Every single person that likes Play Me Records or likes yeah. Read Speed, they're not liking me or my label because we paid for an ad or we have a bot or we sponsored a, a post or we paid for some playlisting. It's like, this is real. This is just the art and whoever connects with, we're so grateful for that. But that's that's all we're in it for. Well, that actually leads me to a really good kind of point. You know, it makes me wonder, you know, you've been at this a lot longer than us. You know, we've been doing this for six months now, probably. And you've obviously been in the music industry for a long time. But without getting into too much personal detail, what is your experience with trying to obviously make money, make a living at something? Because you obviously have to pay the bills, you have to eat. And then also balance that with actually being able to say what you really believe uh, when you're given a platform, when you've created a platform for yourself. 
how do you balance those two and what has that been like for you? I mean, it's it's been a really long struggle because I know if I had just been quiet and like got a manager and did everything that everyone said, they probably would have made me really famous. You know, I could have been like the number one female DJ in the US if I would have like not had the personality that I have. Yeah. But me being me, I don't even know how to do that. Like I have, maybe it's like mental health issues. Maybe it's just strong personality, whatever it is. <laughs> this is, this is who I am. And it's, yeah, it's been really hard. I've lost agents. I've lost contracts. I've lost artists that we work with, you know, I've lost everything and had to rebuild it again so many times. But I accept that that's, price I have to pay for keeping it real and never like not bullshitting with people and not pandering to anything. And I once got offered a lot of money to pose for Playboy and I turned it down because I couldn't imagine going to a play a show and have people come up to me with naked photos of myself to sign. me and people are like why wouldn't you do that that's such an amazing opportunity i'm like what i play drum and bass it's like really underground music like there's no market for what i do if i get naked it's just like yeah now everyone's seen me naked but it's not going to make any of those people like drum and bass they're just going to be like lol this fucking bass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so you know it's it's hard but it's worth it in the end i mean it's worth it whatever now i have a real job for the first time in 20 years. I made a living as a DJ for 20 years. And then right before the pandemic hit, I got real lucky, got a nice job at Apple. And I'm like, God, this is so nice. <laughs> I don't have to That's argue good. with anyone. Yeah. They should pay me at the end of the week. <laughs> and it's still music related. Yeah, I'm like so grateful. That's cool. I mean, that is a common thing. Like you mentioned how people will attribute it to mental health issues. If you are not as successful as you could be in whatever industry you're working in, because you dare to be outspoken about your personally held beliefs. I know that that's something that people, especially on the left, encounter a lot. And the only thing I can think of to say to that is a quote that I heard somewhere, which is that it's not, it's not a virtue to be well-adjusted to a sick society. You know what I mean? Like, if you are well-adjusted to the society that we live in, that's fucked up on your part, to be honest. Like, you see the people who succeed in the society, and they're not good people. They're not people that you want to hang out with, that you want to associate with, that you would consider, like, just genuinely good people. They're, they're, they're fucking sociopaths. Like that's how you get ahead in this capitalist hellscape is to just be you're willing to stomp on anybody to get ahead. Yeah. That being and the said, music industry, microcosm of that, like the worst of the worst, yeah. the oh, worst yeah. stompers, like just want to crush your head. What you got? Yeah, I, I definitely want to circle back to that. I even got some stuff on the music industry. I, I've prepared just from my own experiences uh, but I do know we, Scott is a little more pressed for time. Um, at some point, he's going to have to jump off early. So I want to make sure we get to him before, okay. before we lose him. So yeah, let, let's let's jump over to Scott for a bit. Um, my first big question is, what was the idea you had in your head when you just saw like a cowboy hat or something laying on the ground and you're like, yo, tur- turn on that one Justin Moore song, baby. <laughs> okay, It so is Justin the- Moore, right? That's the artist. Is it? I Actually, I think it's, no, I think it's, um, oh, what's his name? You should know I completely this. forgot it. I can't believe <laughs> I forgot it. I don't actually listen to it. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, so, actually, the first one I made was not dressed in a cowboy suit at all. I was dressed as, like, you know, those typical, like, frat kids who are, like, that kind of Republican. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and it got kind of popular. It got, like, 30,000 likes. 
And then a, a week later, I was like, well, that was kind of fun. Maybe I can do it again with like a different caption and everything. Uh, and I was like, but I'll do like a different take of it. I'll, I'll dress as like one of those Southern Republicans. <laughs> and that one like really took off. It got a few hundred thousand likes. I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing yeah. it. And then I made like fucking 25 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and you've used the same uh, song the whole time, right? That's right. I have never changed that's songs. So funny. I feel like it just makes it so funny. <laughs> you know, one hundred percent, someone has to have brought this to his attention. Like, yo, you know, you're going viral, dog. Like, and he's like, oh, for sure, for sure. I've like, I, I've kind of like Googled myself just to see if there's anything yeah. there. And there are articles being like, oh, we reached out to uh, whatever his name is, and there was no response. Yeah. So, so he's definitely getting like notified about yeah. this. He knows. Oh my god. I was actually, I didn't know if he was a Republican or not. I was kind of well, worried he, he was going to get the song taken down from TikTok, but he didn't. Okay. <laughs> so. oh. That's hilarious. Yeah, I suppose. I feel like it's one of those things like, it's like if you ask Kurt Cobain at the end of the 80s, like when hair metal was just obviously on the way out, when you had just like, obviously these bands that are jumping the shark, you have like Wasp and Hornet and like whatever other bands you have that are just doing the thing way too far, like way beyond Metallica mm. or any of the good ones that are doing it. And then you have this guy who just comes along and does an entirely different thing, like just plays three chords. It's yeah. like, I mean, was there ever like a time yeah. when you sat down and thought about like, you know what I'll do? I'll imitate a Republican and I'll just like strip off my clothes as I'm lip syncing to his song while I'm like busting out of my truck. It's like, or did you just like feel it and just that just felt organic that <laughs> like he just had to do that thing and it just worked really well? Like, Okay, so the first video, I was dressed as a Republican, right? But I didn't want to be, it's already repetitive enough with the same song every time. Yeah. So I was like, okay, every single video, I'm going to do something new. So, uh, you know, the second video I took off a hat and there was another hat. Then I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? Third video, I'm in a pool. Fourth video, I'm in a truck. Fifth video. And I just had to keep thinking of like these typical like Southern Republican stereotypes that I could fit into videos. It's, and, it's very uh, accurate. Uh, until I almost ran out. But they keep giving me new material every week. So <laughs> I was going to say, have you incorporated any firearms yet? Yeah. Have you incorporated a shotgun or a rifle okay, or an AR-15? So, like? Uh, TikTok is like super strict about that. Uh, so um, they, yeah, that makes they, sense. they took down two of them that I tried to have in there. But one Nerf gun that I had in one video, they let it up. So there's one with, with a you know, Nerf gun and it's about the military industrial complex and how we spend more in our military than the next 10 countries combined. That one they were fine with, but the rest they took down. <laughs> Good to know. It's amazing. So Nerf yeah. is okay. Airsoft, no good. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. That's that's funny. Yeah, I would love to know what that uh, country artist uh, take is on it. You're you're out in California, right? I'm in Florida, actually. Oh, okay. So you're not too far from yeah. me. I'm I'm up in North Georgia. So you oh, you have okay. you have plenty of uh, Southern rednecks to actually gain some I insight from. You. Yeah, I absolutely do. I went to you, high you, school with a bunch of them. <laughs> I oh for sure. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Are you from Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, Sterling? Oh, thank God. I, I'm not, but I'm right next to it. So all of her signs were all over uh, my neighborhoods, too. And I remember early on, like, OK, uh, a female Republican, like it kind of seemed like, you know, the Republicans over the since Obama have decided, well, we need to play identity politics, too. So maybe we'll start, you know, getting some female faces in into the GOP. So my first thing is like, eh, you know, may, maybe they're just playing identity politics. But I was kind of excited to see at least a female name on a Republican board. And then <laughs> I think it was the fucking QAnon Anonymous did one of the episodes early 
on on her and i'm just like who the fuck is this bitch <laughs> and i literally you know i was like not in a million years mm. w- would this pass but it blew my mind yeah. she's on another level man she's fucking nuts and it's crazy oh, yeah. she's she's nuts in a very specific way but it's like all republicans are you know kind of nuts in their own brand but you know for someone who straight up is like part of some of these wild you know conspiracy theories i mean that's something that never mm-hmm. really could have happened without trump first taking office i mean he really changed the game i mean so much shit is, is like we talk about you know i have arguments with liberals all the time about when they start going on about how bad trump is and i'm like dude Bush, uh, Reagan, even Obama. I was like, there are there are so many terrible things some of these guys have done. Like especially Reagan. I mean, that is just hundreds of years we will feel the effects of Ronald Reagan. And I just don't think yeah. uh, Trump will ever have that kind of legacy. But Trump will have a very unique legacy, which is the fact that he has changed the game. Where crazy is not off limits anymore, and it. Mm-hmm. It scares me to think what what they're going to come up with next. And it's like everyone at some point, every podcast, I hate to repeat what everyone has said, but, you know, it's going to be the smooth talking Trump next. You know, the the actual intellectual that is as crazy and and wanting to basically, you know, how Reagan took a a 70 percent tax implementation on the super wealthy and turned it to like a 30 percent overnight. Like there's there's a pretty big reason that, you know, our infrastructure is crumbling in this country. Um, But I don't want to go too deep into that. In fact, I've completely forgot what the point was I even started on. (laughs) Sorry. Well, no, I mean, I had a feeling you make a good point happening to you. (laughs) Uh, That's all right. No, I mean, it's good that you went on that tangent because that's if there was any topic that I brought tonight, it was the one article that I uh, was referencing in our group chat from 2014, which was how I lost my dad to Fox News. Um, Uh You know, I wasn't sure if we were going to have enough to talk about just interviewing our guests about their backgrounds and everything. So I brought that article uh, just in case we wanted to talk about the topic of just the indoctrination machine of Fox News and how it has just turned the entire conservative movement, uh, let alone the Republican Party, so far to the right in the last few years. And the article that I have is actually from 2014. Um, So as much as you do attribute, and correctly, just the going off the rails of the conservative movement to Trump, which is very very true, he definitely has just removed any limits as far as like objective reality, um, adherence to facts and truth or anything like that. That's all out the window. Like that does not matter anymore whatsoever. But I mean, as you said, you're you're right to point out that, you know, and we're obviously not the first people to say it, but what everyone is afraid of and for good reason is the competent fascist, the, you know, coherent, charismatic guy who's going to come along in another four, eight years, however long it takes. People are saying, you know, they have all kinds of uh, theories as whether it's to be like Josh Hawley or Tom Cotton or whoever it's going to be running yeah. for president and then actually have a coherent vision for what they want to do that's going to, yeah, talk, I mean... Tucker's he, he's on the docket. Yeah. No. So we can talk about that a little bit if you go if you want. I can read through some of that or we can just continue just I'd rather just, you know, shoot the shit and just ask some more questions <laughs> of our guests if we could. Um but we have that if we want to get to it. Well, for sure. Like uh I, I personally believe that the indoctrination that Fox News and these other far right uh, you know, news sources spew out uh, into the country is probably like the leading cause of Trumpism right now. I, I really yeah. think it is. Because they are preying on these 
uh, Republicans who are either not educated because of the ridiculous education budgets in red states, or they just lack the basic critical thinking needed to search past that indoctrination. You know, and there's also the problem of echo chambers when everybody around you is watching the exact same oh, yeah. news source uh, with the exact same opinions. It's really difficult to get out there. Like, it's almost hard to blame them directly. I think that indoctrination and brainwashing from these right wing news sources is 100 percent like the biggest problem we're facing right now. I, yeah. I, I want to add to that because I want to take it back to Reagan and Reagan cutting mm. all that tax revenue and fucking defunding our education system. Mm. That's where it started. <laughs> when the money for education was gone, that's where the critical thinking went out the window. Mm -hmm. And then when you have an entire generation raised without critical thinking, and then you add Fox News into the mix, <laughs> then you end up with this giant shitstorm. Yeah, that's People, exactly of course right. they can't. They've been trained to not because they, if people are thinking critically, they're going to be like, what the fuck? This is a bullshit. Like, we don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. And I have another point I want to make sort of branching off of that. But before I do, Reed, where are you located? Are you out in California? Yeah, in Los Angeles. Okay. That will actually tie into this really well. So I think that you guys both make a really good point that, you know, obviously this starts like we were talking about earlier with Reagan. And this problem goes back decades upon decades, you know, the indoctrination of people to the far right and the lack of education to prevent them from going in that direction. But I think mm -hmm. it's a twofold problem. The first problem and the main problem, like you were saying, is that people have been indoctrinated further to the far right. But then the other problem, second, is the lack of resistance in any other direction. And it's because of the Democrat Party, the supposed, you know, I'm doing the air quotes here for our <laughs> listeners, the supposed left of our country is not providing any real resistance to that. We don't have anybody who really stands up to that in any meaningful or substantial kind of way. So I wanted to ask you, Reed, what is it like being out in California among the libs and, you know, encountering people who are probably thinking that Biden is the savior of this country and he's going to fix everything? Like, what is it like encountering people who just don't seem to understand that? OK, so we say it a lot, just in case you guys are not on the same page as us. I imagine you probably are. But we don't think that there really is a left party in this country. You know what I mean? Like even the oh. Democrats, as they exist, are a center right party. When you look at their economic policies, when you look at the things that they say that they want to do, even their goals, you know, like mm -hmm. Joe Biden just had a town hall the other night saying that, you know, when somebody asked him, what would you do about the student debt crisis and, you know, the $50,000 debt forgiveness? He, he just said, I will not do that. I'm not going to do it. He, he, he just, just flat listed. out said, I'm not going to fucking do it. Like that was on his website as one of his uh, campaign promises. Like when you go to the donation page and it lists like all the shit he's going to immediately do, that was one of the fucking bullet points. And he's just like, oh, no, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I feel like he definitely yeah. uh, like during the primaries, he was trying to like look like he was shifting a little more to the left to try to get those young voters that were voting for Bernie instead. Um, but I definitely see him, you know, doubling back on a lot of these promises that he made. And it's extremely disappointing, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect anything else from Joe Biden, but I think that is that is one of the things that people don't understand and especially, quote, liberals or Democrats fail to understand is that Joe Biden, whatever, Obama, that's not even liberal or left. Like, we're not even barely towards the center. Like Bernie Sanders and AOC, that's a centrist. So what is the left of that? People can't even... They want to call a Green New Deal. They want to call Medicare for all socialism because they're uneducated. 
But in LA, it's just the the sickness of privilege where no one here really has to care because everyone here is so, for the most part, it's like rich people who don't really have to care. You know, they have, they can afford to not to be like, oh yeah, Joe Biden, that's great. We fixed bad orange man, bad. He's gone. Like, okay, we're, we're safe now. And it's like, but we're not safe because everyone else who's not rich and doesn't live in LA and doesn't live in this bubble of elitism it's like horrible. Like times are awful. And if people really understood the difference between Democrats, like you think about the policies of FDR, right. You know, when yeah. he did the whole, um, well, what the fuck was it called? The new deal. The new like, deal. Yeah. He, he rebuilt the country in this massive outpouring and they would call him a socialist. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. When- one thing about uh, California that is very unique, and I think is probably part of this whole you know mentality a, a lot of the California brunch Democrats have, is you you've got a very interesting situation where you your state is a huge uh, percentage of renters ver- versus you know actually. Uh, mortgage holders living in their houses it's predominantly you know go buy as many houses as you can and pack them full of renters like more so than than most other states i think there's a few ahead of you but california is one of the top and what's unique is that california you guys have completely locked down your uh, state taxes on, on property your property taxes are completely locked and they can't change and no one can increase them unless they have a fucking super majority vote which is not the case in like any other fucking state so it's it's turned into this situation where the super wealthy are just skipping taxes left and right the more houses they have the more tax breaks they get that are just so grandfathered in that all they're doing is skimming off these renters and it's like that that's one reason I think the wealthy Californians just can't get their head around it is because this fucking system's working real good for them. Yeah, exactly. It works really well for the rich people. I know like firsthand because my husband and I bought a house in Detroit like 5 years ago and the property taxes in Detroit were like <laughs> 10 times the property tax that we paid when we bought a house in LA. Jeez. Oh, yeah. I'm like this doesn't make any sense. Like literally <laughs> 10 times. So yeah, it's broken, you know, and, and of course, rich people, rich liberals just want things to stay, go back to normal, like stay mostly how it is. Cause it really does benefit them. Yeah. So they have no vested interest to try to change the system that benefits them. They don't want to pay them more taxes. And it sucks to see people call themselves liberal that are so fucking selfish and so yeah. uninvested in the world working as yeah. a whole. Yeah, I mean, that's why Joe, nothing will fundamentally change Biden seemed like such a good option for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, you know, everyone shit on Bernie and, you know, AOC. Maybe AOC will come and become a leader of her party. I hope she does. I think she's fantastic. I think she's, you know, she has a lot of really good things to say. No one can tell what, how it's going to turn out. If she's going to turn more into a politician as time goes on, like maybe she'll lose some of her her fight. But But that's kind of inevitable. But you can get her in office early enough that it's not that big of a deal. It's like if she actually runs in 2024, I don't think the indoctrination into the DNC will be so bad that she'll be useless. I mean, it is kind of already showing like when she won't force the vote on Pelosi and all of that, you know, she's definitely starting to be indoctrinated. And I'm a big AOC simp, you know, and a lot of leftists don't like AOC. We all are. Right. But, you know, I will gladly cast cast a vote for AOC. Uh, Obviously, I did not vote for Biden. I voted Hawkins. But if we wait until like 
you know, 2030s or 40s, I mean, I, I think she's going to be a, as useless as anyone. Either we get her in early or it's, it's pointless. I don't think she's going to be like Bernie. I don't know. Well, I guess time no. will tell. It's crazy to me how many people who I know that are my friends that call themselves liberals and Democrats who hate Bernie and AOC. And I'm like, how can you call yourself a liberal and hate these people and hate what their policies stand for? Oh, that's not realistic. That's some pie in the sky. It's like, no, it's not. You know what's not realistic? The fucking military budget. That's not realistic. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. That is some crazy stuff going on right there. You know, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. No, I'm suspicious of anyone who calls Bernie or any of his ideas unrealistic, but then also thinks the status quo is realistic. It's just something that we should go along with and tolerate. Like, I mean, just the last couple of days, like, yeah, I mean, seeing these people like starving and without power in Texas, it just really makes America look like a failed state. And anyone who holds up this status quo as some kind of something that we should be okay with, like, it's just, it blows my mind that anyone is okay with this on a fundamental level and thinks that this is something we should uphold and that there's not some major problems that we need to address let alone take drastic measures to fix. I think that, you know, as far as the Democratic Party is concerned, it's either going to be AOC is going to save the party or whoever is, you know, even younger than her that's still yet to come up that we just haven't seen yet, or that it just has to split off into a third party that actually represents the working class. But that's a whole other topic that we can get into. Certainly, do you have any more questions uh, that you have some stuff prepared before we get into an entirely different tangent that I don't really want to get into at the moment. <laughs> well, I, just to piggyback on that, um, I think Ilhan Omar uh, also could turn into a very prominent figure. I'm a huge Ilhan Omar fan. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of great figures that... My thing is, as long as we keep at least packing the progressives into the Democratic Party, and I know a lot of leftists are going to you know, probably shit on me for even saying this, because, uh, oh, you're being fucking revisionist, you know, it's it's vanguard revolution or bust, buddy. But, you know, <laughs> I think I think the more progressives we can pack into the party, the more that people like AOC don't have to fight the indoctrination because she mm. she needs allies in the party. It's like next week we're going to be recording with Shahid Batar, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he was a, a very prominent figure in this uh, last uh, running. He was running against Nancy Pelosi as the progressive uh, for her Congress seat, for her seat in the House in no, San Francisco. Sorry. He was running in, in San Francisco incredible politician you know green new deal medicare for all i'm we're so pumped to have him come on and you know he had huge mainstream media coverage everywhere because i mean even nancy pelosi is not a fan to like cnn and shit so they gladly you know brought on anyone who who would challenge her because they they don't even realize the the actual danger of, of letting us have more people like jihad more people like ilhan omar and and aoc into the party I know people don't like to hear this, but it is a beginning to, you know, at least attempt to convert it. And no one on the Mm -hmm. left really likes to talk about that. But I think we got to fight this battle on all fronts. If we only say, you know, we we just need to get out in the streets and turn shit over. Yeah, that's great. You know, do that, (laughs) whatever. Uh, But we also have to fight the political battle. And we have to also realize that Bernie came very fucking close. And if it was not for just straight up rigging that shit in plain sight in daylight, you know, every other fucking person running, just dropping out the day before super Tuesday, never fucking happened before. How is that even legal to uh, compress their votes into one other candidate against the candidate? They all collectively didn't want to win. That's insane. And, 
just I mean, shows. It shows how rotten the Democratic Party is, that they're resistant to the thing that will change the country for the better. They're yeah. all invested in keeping it the same. And that just showed they were like, nope, we're, yeah. we're not ready to change things because we're going to lose all our power and all our money. And Yeah, I think the real appeal of people like AOC and Ilan Omar it's not that they're going to change the Democratic Party even so much. Like that, it, that I'm not going to rule that out as a possibility. It, you know, I'll still hold out hope that the Democratic Party will start representing workers at some point in the future, as unlikely as that seems. But I think at the very least, they actually opened people's eyes to a leftist message. Like if it wasn't for Bernie and AOC and people like them, I probably wouldn't be a leftist myself because I wouldn't have mm-hmm. been. I wouldn't have seen these messages from these people. I wouldn't have mm-hmm. even heard of the ideas of Medicare for all, of forgiving student debt, and then mm-hmm. gone further, you know, just in my own indoctrination program that I've subjected myself to online. Um, did you have something, Scott, that you want to chime in with? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say I, I completely agree with you. I don't think we would have even a fraction of the leftists we currently have in this country if Bernie didn't present himself in the primaries of 2016. Yeah. I feel like he created such a progressive movement in this country that was just really missing for such a long time. And uh, yeah. I really think that him, you know, AOC and all these other progressives uh, that we've elected have really made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do want to ask you guys both, you know, just what are your takes on what do you see as the future of both the Democratic Party um, and just the leftist movement in America? Like, do you think that we will see the Democratic Party shift more to the left as we all hope it does? Or do you think they will continue to shift more to the right to try and court these mythical moderate Republicans who will someday vote for a Democrat, even though they never have fucking before in their lifetimes and probably never will? Or do you think that we may actually see like a split entirely and we may see some kind of third party that actually caters to the working class? Um, Let me go with you, Scott, first, and then we can ask uh, Reed the same question. Okay, so um, I think that the shift, you know, from this uh, very center Democratic Party to a more progressive leaning party is definitely going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I think when you look at the demographic of young voters, they are so much more progressive than these older voters are. And I definitely feel like, you know, these 70 year old centrist Democrats in office right now, like Nancy Pelosi, are catering to these 70, 60, 50 year old Democratic voters, centrist voters. And I really hope that AOC and these other progressives are able to shift the party more quickly, you know, because they do so much. uh, They have so much activism. They go to so many protests. They go to so many strikes. They do so much work you know, with the people directly that I'm hoping it's going to be a quicker shift than like five decades from now. But um, I don't know. I I feel like um, the third party option, like the progressive uh, shifting to a third party, I considered it for a while, but I feel like it's really just going to give the Republicans a majority like most of the time. I don't know if I see a future in that specific direction, but I do think the Democratic Party will head left. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, optimistically, yeah, I would hope that that happens. It would definitely behoove us to have a Democratic Party that is already in power shift further to the left and actually benefit the workers that they claim to represent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely the preferable of the two options. You know, a third party split mm-hmm. always comes with its um, fracturing and just the splitting up of the voting block and makes it more mm-hmm. difficult to win any kind of majority in political mm-hmm. power. Um, but so Reed, uh, what, what is your take? Let me get your take on the same thing. Sorry, did you have something, Sully? I just want to say really quick, uh, so long as gerrymandering is a thing, it's kind of pointless to bring a third party in because the two larger parties are going to work collectively to basically make it impossible for a third party to get anywhere. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
Yeah, you say that now. Totally. Wait till you see Trump's Patriot Party, brother. They're going to take all their money. They're going to take it all back hope. on March 4th, brother. I hope. Literally, Sorry, that was my, my follow-up to this, is that I think we are only going to see a split within the Republican Party because we can't with the Marjorie Taylors and the QAnon batshit crazy people that are pushing their God-Confederate white nationalist shit. There is a rift between conservative Republicans and whatever that is. So that's one thing I think we're going to see is that's going to fracture itself. So given that, I do think that it's it's possible we will see a similar fracturing of the Democrat, the Democratic Party, the liberals, the leftists, <laughs> you know, into progressives and the centrists, you know. And yeah, it may for a while everything up and no one's going to get a majority and we're still going to have a bunch of whatnot. But at some point you have to think that either Republic is going to fail entirely and we're just going to collapse as a society or someone's going to have to get their shit together and say, hey, look, we don't all agree, but we need to work together on this. And there's at least four different major ideologies at play. So this two party system is outdated. This gerrymandering is ridiculous. That's just Republican voter suppression since back in the, when it started. I mean, the founding fathers never intended for everyone to even have a vote. Like their writings about how this was all going to work. They're like, oh, the average person, they're kind of too dumb. We don't want them getting caught up in the hype. That's literally 100%. 100%. Only the smart people that own land and other humans (laughs) be able to vote. Mm -hmm. Like, James Madison was like, democracy bad. They can take our shit. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I don't know. I think we could very well see a huge fracturing and multiple um, alternate parties spring up. And then the whole thing kind of turn into party soup where everyone's duking it out for who's going to actually run this because there's no majority left anymore. No, I think you make a lot of really good points there. And it actually leads me to conversely, what would be the opposite side of that same question is like, what do you think is the future of the Republican Party? Because, you know, I've had discussions with people online, you know, they say that, you know, the Republican Party is fracturing right in front of our eyes because you see that 64 percent of Republicans now want to support Donald Trump splitting into the Patriot Party and just branching off of that entirely. And people on the on the again, the quote unquote left liberals see that as a a benefit. They see that as a fracturing of the Republican Party. And it seems to me like it's actually kind of a scary thing, because that means that more people on the Republican side are solidifying behind a figure that they really like, even if it's somebody as ludicrous as Donald Trump. But I can't think of anybody that would drag 64 percent of Democrats over to an entirely third party, like whether it be AOC or Ilhan Omar, um, whoever it may be. Um, Let me get your take, Scott, and then we'll go in with Reid. Oh, I was going to say, you know, um, building up on what you were saying earlier, Trump sort of normalized this completely erratic and crazy behavior, you know, filled with conspiracy theories and straight up lies and all this stuff. And I feel like. Uh, you know, all the Trump supporters, all the Republicans, they 100 percent like support this. They love this. They're living for it. And I feel like at this point, Republican politicians are almost being ostracized if they're not going with it. When you look yeah. at what's happening to Republicans yeah. like Mitt Romney, when you're looking at more of these, you know, well, moderate air quotes, moderate Republicans, <laughs> they're uh, definitely even. Getting, Pence. Oh, yeah, exactly. Even Pence. They're all getting pushed out. And I think that what we're going to see is in 2024. Uh, you're going to have a Republican candidate present himself that is a lot more like Trump than we would like, <laughs> you know, a lot more on the crazy side. And I think at this point, at this 
fate of the Republican Party. That's who the voter base is going to lean to, unfortunately. Yeah. Do you want to weigh in on that, Reed? No, I, I totally agree. I do. I do think it's there's going to be more crazy, like cult of personality mm-hmm. people that you know become the face of Republicans, and there's going to be the choice between are you a real Republican, you know, a real conservative, or are you one of these fake, just lie spouting, using any word salad to be like I'm a white supremacist that just hates everybody who's not white and who's not me, who doesn't look like me, who doesn't whatever, and yeah. also like. Poor people, even when they're poor, it's, it's a very odd, the Kardashianing of society. That's how we get Donald Trump <laughs> and whatever's to come. One quick point is that's not inherently different from what the Republican Party has always been. They've always been those things, but they were those things in the shadows while they were yeah, politically it was more correct. Exactly. Yeah, they, they were politically correct. Yeah, and this new wave is just, it's the same shit where it's like, you know, white males should just get everything and let's just oppress everyone else, which is kind of how our foreign, foreign policy works is, you know, gas is really cheap in this country because we steal it from other countries. And it's like <laughs> this whole Syria, the, the pressure we're putting on Syria where we're like, hey, we'll help you fight ISIS, but you have to let our energy companies come into your oil industry. And they're like, fuck no. And we're like, okay, sanctions. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just we're constantly basically oppressing minorities to make it better for, uh, you know, different minorities that are that look a very specific way. And my issue with multi-party and and I get it, the, the more parties, the better. But I've always been more of a fan of you know, a one party system and a one party system really means a no party system, which means you have to actually run on your policies. You have to actually run on your implementation and not just be a fucking NASCAR with, you know, whatever fucking political party, you know, slapped on the hood. Because How many voters like I guarantee you the majority of like 50 plus year old Democratic voters just go out and whoever's blue, they put the X besides. No one's voting on policy, at least not to a degree that it really makes any impact. I, I disagree with that because I think the Republicans fucking love their guns and they love telling women what to do with their bodies and they will come out in force to vote for that. Like they love those issues for whatever reasons. I mean, we know the reasons, but they do. I think that, I yep. think in that case, they do actually vote. While you're with Democrats, it's, I think you're right. It's less of an issue based thing. They're just like, oh, not as bad. <laughs> but it's yep. not really any better in the long run. It's a, it's a little bit better, you know? Yeah, and speaking of gun control, I'm I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with the uh, HR tw- uh, 127 bill that's currently sitting in Congress. Probably not going to pass, but it's funny because the conservatives are sharing around posts uh, about their issues with HR 127, which again, probably not going to pass, but the bill is honestly just a registration mm-hmm. act. Like it's basically, you know, capacity and, and some other stuff like that, which a lot of people on the left are uncomfortable with. I mean, most people on the left don't like to see a lot of changes done to gun regulation because we know that it typically impacts minorities. It typically impacts the working class unfairly. You know, most billionaires don't have to worry about what their capacity, how many rounds they can have in a gun because they can just hire an infinite number of bodyguards. And also these bodyguards typically carry a commercial license that allow them to have the things the public can't have anyway. 
But what's funny about it is, one second, I, I had some of these uh, quotes on these articles that they're sharing. Let's see here. Just real quick, since you say that, if I have one quote to myself, it is that the end result of capitalism is going to be trillionaires in their encampments protected by robot cops from the starving masses. That's the only logical end point of capitalism. Yep. That's, that's yes. all it leads us to. We either get to that or to the singularity first. It's definitely one or the other. There's a massive armed rebellion by poor people against who knows. Yes, comrade. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of people with a lot of guns out there. And the more, like, at some point, like, people get too poor and too desperate, they will take their guns and use them against people who have stuff that they don't have. I mean, we can hope. Oh, yeah. I feel oh, like yeah. it should have happened already, but I'm really surprised that it hasn't. Right now, those yep. people still support their own oppression to an extent. So they don't, they're not aware that they, who they need to be mm -hmm. taking up arms against. They're mad at the liberals who are trying to help them not be in the situations that they're in. No. I mean, you would have yeah, thought that absolutely. when, like, glorious, you know, gun control haven of Texas, you know, started to starve and not have any power, you thought they would have just taken up those arms that they have that no one else seems to have. Like, Texas is by far one of the most lax gun control states in the entire country. And so you would have thought that by now they would have had a reason to, uh, you know, do another 1776 or something. Maybe. Like, if you're not, if that's not giving you enough reason, I don't know what is. Buildings with electricity. They don't know who to do it against. They think it's the wind farms, the wind power flows, because the governor <laughs> said that that's what happened. Like, people can't even, like, fact check their own governor. I mean, how is this man in office? Like, that's so, it's just so evil and corrupt and absurd and what are you going to do? You're going to shoot your way out of being hungry and frozen. You can't take a shower. Like, what good is a gun going to do you? Sorry, uh, I do want to, Sky. I want to see what you have to say. But oh, I was just going to say she's absolutely right. It's uh, once again from uh, you know Texan Republicans. It's misdirected anger because Fox News, the governors, and the senators are all telling them, "Watch, watch out!" It's actually because of the Green New Deal that this is happening. It's another reason to be afraid of socialists. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's completely misdirected. It's complete bullshit, obviously. Uh, but they'll buy into it because once Where, again, they, la Biden? they lack the education. They lack the critical thinking. They lack the, uh, you know, thought to even verify this information because they trust these Republican officials. They trust them. It was his fault. Excite. <laughs> right. Give them that dopamine hit that they need in these miserable times mm -hmm. to own the fucking libs and be like, it was wind farms. Like, I feel dopamine because I'm blaming someone yeah. else. Honestly. That's exactly right. Yeah. 100%. Well, like what you were talking about, like the 1776 and all the guns they have. I mean, Dallas and Houston had skyscrapers, just entire skylines lit up with power and heat and water. And all these people with guns are just sitting there in the cold. It's like, go fucking let yourself into some fucking buildings <laughs> if they won't let you in there. Like, they're fucking empty. Like, completely <laughs> empty and probably sanitized because of COVID regulations. <laughs> like, it's, it's a very safe place to At be right now. office. <laughs> exactly and it, uh, it it really blows my mind but it's like you know you're talking about like uh the guns the, the guns are being used right now by the way but they're being used by private companies to protect fucking food being thrown away yeah. i saw that 
they called the cops on mm -hmm. in Portland. Yeah, no, in, in Texas, like they were dumping a bunch of food because the power went out in grocery stores and legally they couldn't sell it. So they were throwing it in dumpsters and people who are, you know, starving in Texas right now were going dumpster diving because fucking Texas ain't doing mm -hmm. shit for them. And they literally hired private bodyguards to come out there and at gunpoint threaten people who dumpster dove into the trash can that was being thrown away. Disgusting. Yeah. Um, real quick. So what is the, you were, you were pulling up? Yes. So where I was going with that earlier on HR 127, which is the gun regulation bill right now in Congress, I, I was talking about, you know, there, there's some stuff circling around conservative social media that is just fucking golden. And it, it just, <laughs> honestly, uh, let me just dive into it. Well, hold, hold on just real quick before you do. Scott, did you have anything to say that was relevant I, to what I you was were just saying? I saw your hand up. I actually go ahead, go do ahead. kind of have to head out right now, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. This, I, this seriously, no it's been a ton of fun. I've loved talking to you guys. This has been dude. Come back anytime. Yeah. Love to have you, man. Sounds great. I definitely will. Then. <laughs> um, before you go, real quick, awesome. if you could just like, do you want to plug anything else other than your TikTok channel? Uh, sure. I currently have a board game up on Kickstarter. It's called Nations and Empires. Um, it's a historical strategy game where you use real historical leaders to develop your nation and try to conquer others. If you want to check that out, that'd be really cool. But uh, yeah, otherwise, that's it. You, you can check me out on TikTok at the Johnny Cheese, uh, Instagram, Scott Stark. And yeah, that's it. Can I play as Dude, Lennon? So much link on. to the Kickstarter. Uh, yeah, yes, you Lennon actually is can. in it, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm getting it. It's based. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, how do they search it when they get to kickstarter what is it called oh it's called nations and empires if you type in that name it'll come up right away nations and yeah. empires okay excellent i've already backed it. yes you uh, have thank so you i really you, appreciate that you, you guys up next <laughs> i'm about to <laughs> no I'm, I'm excited thank you so much kickstarter is kickstart tough thank you so man much for i'm, I'm on, wishing man. you luck with thanks it. again guys see you next time all right be in touch scott have a good one man take right. care awesome that guy's cool all right so Sterling, that actually leads into a really good point. I'm going to let you read through what you were talking about. But um, when we were talking about, you know, all these people in Texas who should be taking up arms against their obviously oppressive <laughs> government is, you know, letting them starve and just go without power. I frequent a lot of firearm forums. You know, I, I go to a lot of subreddits that are like firearm related because I'm a firearms yep. enthusiast myself. And it's really funny to me because when H.R. 127 was first being talked about, you know, obviously this is not something that has like been enacted into yes. law. It's not something that we're actually dealing with yet, but already there were people talking about taking up arms against the government, just like talking about some really revolutionary, right. like, you know, January 6th kind of shit, and nothing was happening yet. And now, in the last week that people in Texas have been running out of power, the only posts that I'm seeing from Texas are people just putting their AR-15s in the snow saying, hey, we finally got some snow in Texas. It's like, <laughs> obviously, these people are super privileged. They're not being affected by this at all. They're not the people that we would hope would be like affected by the government that is obviously holding them down. It, it just goes to show like who is really affected by gun laws and gun legislation and who is really affected by this, the way this country operates at a, at a most basic level. But uh, go ahead and go into your, uh, your HR 127. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree with all of that. And so I, I just want to, one thing about 127 again, it's, it's not like gun confiscation. Like you would think that they're just going to line up and start taking guns from people. Really? Cause that's, that's what I've been it, hearing. It's, yeah. It's not, it's like, yeah, it's like so fucking basic. And, you know, here on the left, we disagree with some liberal positions, you know, a lot of times on gun regulations, obviously. Um, but there are some liberal positions that are justified, like not wanting fucking crazy people armed to the teeth, like which is 
what this bill actually aims to amend. One of the posts I saw uh, passing around conservative social media, and I quote, says, you won't be able to get a license if, and then it has some bullet points, and let me read these for you. You are evaluated to be mentally unfit. You have ever... Uh, been diagnosed with depression you have ever had any and it has any in capital letters you have ever had any form of brain disease if the evaluators think that you have an alcohol problem the evaluators can also interview your family exes to determine your if you're mentally sound and they're parading all this around like we're never gonna get this license if that's the case and I'm just like once again these fucking dumbasses on the right are just <laughs> saying the quiet part out loud that none of them are mentally safe and should be allowed to have like a fucking assault rifle <laughs> it's like even some on the left are, are afraid of you know how the evaluations will be conducted obviously uh, people will be targeted unfairly we know that but at the end of the day I personally can't say that I'm against at at least making sure, you know, someone fucking can spell their own goddamn name or hasn't threatened to murder their wife before we hand them a loaded weapon. I will say just real quick, the leftist position on that is that these will inevitably be used against the left. Yeah. You know, when you when these laws eventually go into effect, it's not going to be that they're going to target people who are joining white nationalist groups and like spewing insane shit on their Facebook page about I don't know, what is the latest QAnon conspiracy about Jewish space lasers? You know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be those people that are targeted. <laughs> it's going to be trans people. It's going to be people yeah. who have been admitted to a hospital because they had a mental health crisis because they simultaneously had their rent jacked up and couldn't pay their bills because they worked in a grocery store and just couldn't make ends meet. You know what I mean? Like, that's who it's going to be used against, unfortunately. And it's not going to be the privileged white guy who lives on a farm and has never had to have any kind of interaction that was recorded. Uh, with the state police yeah. because they, they knew who he was and, you know, he may have had an interaction where he beat his wife, but they let him go because they know Johnny and he's a good guy. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. really how it's going to work in practice. So, I mean, if I'm going to counter that in any way, that that's what I would say to that. But at the same time, I do, you know, feel like it's a good idea if we had some kind of restrictions on like who can own an AR-15. Like I would like to prevent mass shooters. I just don't really have a whole lot of faith in the government to the government as it exists in the USA today yeah. to be able to go after the right yeah. people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they're going to stop the next Nicholas Cruz. I think they're going to stop somebody who was just trying to defend themselves from that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but go ahead. I don't want, I want to totally like derail you and, and interrupt you, but go ahead. Yeah. No, that that's more or less it. I mean, to me, it's like if a felon, you know, is prevented from having a firearm, it's very strange that, you know, someone who is like, you know, has a history of, threatening to kill their wife or has an actual mental uh, handicap that that could endanger someone if they had a weapon it's hard for me to say that i'm against that is, is my only point i get that that's it will absolutely be used disproportionately to the left but to me that's just one of those battles we have to we have to get to that when we get to that i, I tend to agree with you on that where it's just you got to start somewhere and there's like yeah that's a pretty easy one to start with um, I agree. If you've ever done certain things, it's not a good idea. I don't know. I, anything, whether it's technology, laws, ideas, they always find a way where they're meant for good and someone finds a way to use them for bad. Yeah, that's oh, very yeah. true. I would like it if we targeted, you know, domestic abusers, if we put them first on the list of yeah. people who should not have firearms. I think that would be a good place to start. Um, people who have expressed any kind of far right 
conspiracy theory sentiments online. I mean, I feel like that's easy enough to collect. You know, if we have these companies like Facebook and Twitter, whoever is collecting all this data on us, whether we like it or not, I feel like we should at least be using it to our advantage to find the people who are sympathizing with the Nazis. Probably not a good idea to let them have guns, you know? Then at, at what point does that become the surveillance state? And if, say, then the Republicans took complete control, now it's used against, like, liberals yeah. to be rounded up, you know, because we're, we need to survey everyone. Like, it, it's such a tough line between protecting speech and protecting society. You know, like, part of society is agreeing to live by certain rules, and then it's like, when people just, like, use the rules to not follow the rules, it's like, you're just... Oh, no. I mean, you're absolutely right. I don't I don't disagree at all. I think that that's always a looming threat. I think that was actually the looming threat of a second Trump presidency. I think if he had gotten reelected, his first order of business would have been to go after people who were dangerous, uh, you know, again, using big air quotes here, dangerous in his determination as far as like people who pose threats to the state, because obviously January 6th wouldn't have happened, but it would have been that's what blows my mind about the whole January 6th thing and just really speaks to the impotence of liberals as they exist is that they actually had an event they could have used to their advantage to go after the far right and the white nationalists and the QAnon nuts, and they're not even using that as well as they could. But if Trump had gotten reelected, he absolutely would have just gone after people on the left. Like, I was legitimately scared if Trump got reelected because I have a leftist platform online and I've posted some shit that would have gotten me targeted by some intelligence agencies. And not that I think that Biden is like super benevolent when it comes to that thing now. I just think that, you know, Trump would have been that much worse and just really had an agenda in that way. I don't know. You're not wrong. That's that's always a looming threat. Biden hasn't taken Antifa off the terrorist list. I mean, literally people who just call themselves anti-fascist are still a fucking terrorist, you know, quote unquote. With this whole how did this get out of control? How did this get away from public understanding? The word is literally anti-fascist, and now yeah, what? Like, oh, it's an abbreviation. <laughs> it's an abbreviation, not a group. You fucking morons! Uh, like, if people are like, "Oh, Antifa, this and that." I'm like, "There's not an Antifa. It's <laughs> it's like the fucking Gadsden flag. It's a statement." Yeah. It seems simple enough to me. Jesus fucking Christ. Where did you have something? Yeah, but this is also the same Biden that was like, we need to support the protests in Russia and they need to release Alexei Navalny, who's a known ethno-nationalist. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that may be getting well, a little too deep for, for right a current episode. But like, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I was not aware of that, that he's like, you're saying he's like the Russian equivalent of a white nationalist? Yeah, and like, I think in one of his like rallies, he was like talking about like, Oh, yeah, just round up Muslims and just shoot them with pistols, like nonchalant. I'm sorry if this is like a really ignorant question. Why would Putin hate him then? (laughs) Aren't they on the same side with that then? I don't know. I'm probably not the most (laughs) well-versed to answer that. That's So that's kind of what I was saying is like it might be a little too in-depth for this particular episode. Like, yeah, yeah. Like the, the liberal viewpoint is that Putin is obviously terrible, and I won't disagree with that at all. Like Putin is not a good guy by any means to anybody that I would support. But Navalny is also 
just a straight up hardcore like far rightist like he's coming in there with like this populist he's like a trump of russia and so he's coming in there with this message that is obviously going to get him targeted and i'm not again i'm not saying that putin is a good guy but he may still be the better option of the two as far as the citizenry of Russia is concerned, as far as the proletariat of Russia is concerned. (laughs) And I know that's going to be unpopular to say. What I mean is that, like, it sounds crazy to anybody who's living in America and obviously thinks that Putin is who he really is. He's like a fucking corrupt asshole who has, like, positioned him in such a way that he can just stay in power until he fucking dies when he's 120. Like it's, he's never going to be out of power, but at the same time, he may still be better than this particular guy that just popped up in the last six months or so. Okay. Go ahead, like, that's really interesting to me because I just, I've only seen what I've seen obviously in the media. And apparently it's like a pretty shallow, like take on it to learn. Like I had in the way that this whole case is presented to American Americans are people, liberals in America, like yeah. learning about the world event. This guy is sort of painted as some kind of free speech hero who's like being maligned by the evil communist corrupt regime when he's this like soldier of, of free speech. Yeah. He's not. I'm like horrified to learn that like this dude is like some hardcore, you know, racist, ethnicist. Like that's just... Well, it's sorry. Shocking. I, I, word, I will let you talk, but real quick, I will say, usually when the West, like especially American media, speaks up for free speech, they're defending Nazis. They're, they're never defending like leftists. <laughs> they're never defending people who are going to like no. talk about collectivization of national industry or you know just like nationalizing things and just redistribution of wealth for the good of the working class. They're they're defending Nazis because they always equate nazis with free speech so they like that is the default mode of the western media landscape is to oh well we don't really like these guys but we should we should still let them speak but they don't have that that same kind of sympathy or endearance for communists but sorry go ahead ward yeah no it's just that the u.s always sides with fascism over communism every time like after world war ii the u.s hired nazis to act as spies in the ussr like, cause well, I'd like the, to do all of our technology stuff as well. Just like yeah, that. Operation Paperclip, yeah. But like, oh my god, yeah, we we took like eighty percent of their fucking scientists and like brought them to Texas, and this is where it yeah. all started. Texas, oh. <laughs> it was the goddamn Nazis. <laughs> you think they yeah. could build a better power grid? And so it's always in, <laughs> it's always in the U.S.'s interest to side with fascism whenever it's opportunist for them. And so, in terms of the yeah, media yeah. now, how it's painting. Uh, Navalny, Navalny, whichever, uh, as like this free speech like champion. If you look at the like same articles from those same media sources, but like four or five years ago, they're all like, "Yeah, this dude's an ethnic nationalist. Like he's dangerous. Like what the fuck is happening?" But those same media sources now are like, "The opportunity here has presented itself that we can overthrow Putin." So yeah, let's support this guy. Okay, that's interesting to learn that to learn the other side of of the story. Yeah. Like this the, is the horseshoe theory in action, folks. Yeah, the, the, the technical <laughs> term for what's happening is a color revolution. Yeah, I mean, it, 
that's just the U.S. media's stance at any given point. Anytime someone is going to go against Putin, the media is going to try to, you know, prop him up. It does not matter what he's... It's like, you know, all of the shit that the media is, you know, throwing on the CCP and fucking she and, you know, all this, you know, quote-unquote fucking concentration camps with, with the Uyghurs, even though not a single fucking Muslim country is not okay with it. Like, and none of us are going to dive into the whole Uyghur thing today, but... It, it's mostly right it's mostly just people who ended up on a fucking terrorist list and it's rehabilitation and it's like i wish in our country if someone got flagged you know as part of some extreme group we would actually pay them and put them through rehabilitation and try to you know get them on the right path before we just said you know well fuck you imprisonment forever uh, indentured servitude at least they're trying something, and it's not perfect, but it sure as hell is not millions of fucking people being thrown in concentration camps like you would think it is if you watch mainstream media. I'll just go ahead and say, like, when the DHS finally finds the Turn Leftist podcast and they find out who I am, um, <laughs> I hope that they put me into a re-education camp and show me the error of my ways in thinking that communism is better than capitalism <laughs> rather than sticking me in Gitmo and just torturing me and just like shoving things up my ass right? until I die. Like, you know, I would rather have a re-education camp and then be set up with a job afterwards than just be like raped by uh, Brad Coleman uh, from Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> like some asshole fucking ice agent who grew up in a John Hughes film who's going to like just uh, stick a cattle prod up my ass until I'm dead. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer the re-education camp. Just saying. Yeah, waterboarding is not Sorry, a Sorry, I went off on a tangent. No, I, my whole thing was a tangent to begin with. Um, in fact, you know, before we wrap it up, I would like to kind of bounce back over to the music industry and yeah, please uh, do. squeeze out a little bit more gold. If if Reed is still good to hang out for a little bit. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. So, yeah, w- one thing I wanted to talk about with the music industry is and I think we should do a future episode on this where it's really art in general, but I think this will be kind of a good preface for that. But, you know, an industry meant to be about art and expression has almost entirely been taken over by large corporations, you know, and this, you know, really started back to me like during the Capitol Records days. But most artists these days can tell you that there's really no money in in music sales and streams, at least to any like livable fucking way. And most artists these days are like, you know, we, we make most of our money on touring and merchandising. It's typically better money and you can sometimes even support yourself that way. But if you start talking to some of the really successful artists, uh, they'll reveal that placements are really where the big bucks are made. And if you get a placement deal for like a movie or an advertiser, you know, it's not unheard of to see ten dollars to $40,000 checks cut for like one fucking placement. And... If you can master this side of the industry and, you know, all the other profit avenues really just start looking pointless to a lot of these types of artists that really get into that placement game. And that's really where the big issue comes from, because that means with only a few exceptions that the big corporations get to choose what artists and what genres are truly successful, what artists and genres are put into the public spaces to grow further, what artists and genres are fit to be in the public's eye. And of course, every now and then you have someone like a a Skrillex breakthrough who kind of breaks the rules that were put in place. But very quickly, the rules just get adjusted. Yeah, go ahead. Skrillex was already signed to a major label record deal, so like no yep. to all of that. <laughs> oh wow, I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, he was he was in that band uh, from first to last. 
from first to last. He was in the band. He got some like nodules on his throat and couldn't sing anymore. And they needed more music because they were still under contract and had invested in them heavily. And he was like really smart and basically like went to Noisia and learned how to produce and then became like the amazing producer that he is by being really smart about it. But Skrillex could never have happened without his major label record deal. That whole network. That's a whole other thing. Sorry to interrupt and derail whatever was your (laughs) <laughs> no, not derailed at all. That's perfectly in line with it. I mean, it, it really just shows how difficult it is to pull off something like that without having some insane big corporation, you know, big record label that's funding your project. Okay, so I want to rebut that because there's like so yep. many different levels of success within the music industry. There's yeah, like yeah, the public sure. facing side where like you're touring and whatnot. And that's one measure of success. And to your point, I believe that that whole entire aspect of it has been infiltrated by corporate interests and bullshit. Yeah. But publishing sync licensing side that you speak of, in fact, is a fantastic avenue for so many artists that you've never heard of that are making like super comfortable living just being artists. And maybe they do want a tour and maybe they don't, but maybe they are just in it to make the art and they're musicians and they produce and like, There's a lot more people than you think that are making livings doing yeah. stuff like that that you haven't heard of. And yeah, they're not getting the shows, but they're still able to do it. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a bunch of different things. And then there's still like the underground music scene where there's a whole other tier of artists, like people like me who existed in this place where we're able to make a living. Maybe you've heard yeah. of us, maybe you haven't, but we're certainly not on anybody top of anybody's list anywhere. Like, we're not on MTV with our EDM videos type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot of different levels of it. And yeah, there's like too much consumerism. Let's just hope that this pandemic is like a good reset for a lot of the stuff where the underground's going to come back really strong and mm-hmm. we can reclaim the spaces that we tried to make for ourselves that was away from the corporate machine. Like for me, that was literally the reason that I was drawn to do what I do and make my label and everything that I do is to have something that was an alternative to capitalism and this bullshit model that brought no joy. I was like, we need an economy of joy. And if joyous emotions, like the most basic thing that all humans need to be good to each other were built into the economy of our lives, like think of how much better our world. And I know this like sounds like some pie in the sky bullshit, but I don't think it is bullshit. I think that like preaching to the choir here (laughs) and fulfill their purposes in life. And like, you think about all the stuff that a functional society needs and like, we don't invest in that. We're like trying to give money to these billionaires in Texas to shut off the fucking power grid when we could have like pay for millions of teachers to get paid a living wage and then educate people and like build fucking roads and wind turbines and all these things. Like we could invest in doing everything. And then in a model like that, we'd have plenty of money for art and things that people need because it's built into the economy that people need to feel happiness and joy. And what gives them happiness, like consuming art from in different forms. You have to invest in that. Otherwise it's just like your society is morally bankrupt. No, I think you're dead on. I think that actually gets into really good territory. That's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I asked you, like, what is it like being a mainstream musician and trying to make a career in the music industry, but not being willing to compromise your principles and not being willing to shut up about the things that you really believe when it comes to political beliefs, especially. And I think that really speaks to a lot of 
what a lot of probably our listeners and definitely we feel like it's like we are unsatisfied with the way things are and we know that it definitely can be better we know that we can create a better society and it really is just a matter of will and being willing to to do the work that it takes to get there it's really that simple yeah we can't have star trek without communism Hell I don't yeah. know if Star Trek's really communist. I mean, Star oh no, Trek, their whole like, society is communist. Like, <laughs> I don't I mean, know about it's, that. Like, it's completely. I don't know if you're familiar, but like that's that's one of the foundational principles. If you go into like a communist forum, like they will talk about Star Trek and say that like that's what? that's like what yes. you, if you want to like indoctrinate people, especially like burgeoning liberals, like people who are not even leftist yet, but you want to just sort of like. Just creep them in there. Just get them in there a little bit with like the, the first hit of leftism. You start talking to them about Star Trek and how like you have this society where people just yeah. explore space and just do things for fun without any worry about whether it's going to create a profit for somebody else. Star Trek is like the fully automated luxury gay space communism. It really is. Well, I, I, I agree for starters, but once you dig deeper, Star Trek's absolutely not that. They're constantly just like coming to these planets to and demanding that they join like their fucking federation. Oh, and yeah, I like, mean, they do. They're imperialistic as fuck. Yeah, and, but and like the society <laughs> that is based on is communist. What, what's even more interesting about Star Trek is they're beyond the need for resource. Like, they've solved all the resource problems, and they're still going out and colonizing <laughs> planets. Like, they're, they're like imperialists yeah, just that's for true. the love of the game. <laughs> no, but really, I don't want to let what Reed said go without acknowledging yeah. it. Like, that was... Like you made a lot of really good points and I think you're, you are dead on. Like we are just going the wrong way. And especially when it comes to the music industry, like you have so many people who are trying to make a living and there are a lot of people in the music industry who would be happy to make a living and probably still are at whatever capacity they can. Like as far as, you know, my capacity in the music industry was I made a living uh, as a cover band musician. I played in like a bar and wedding band for like four years. Uh, up until I started to have kids and then I needed to make a little more money and I needed to have like yeah. benefits. So it was like I had to get a different job. But um, there's not just the being a billboard musician. Like there are other ways you can make a living, not even just music. You can do art or creative work and make that your living, but also your passion. Um, but I also think yeah. that gets into sort of another aspect of it. What do you think is your take as far as turning something that is your passion into a career? And how do you think that changes it because i know that you know just from my personal experience like i was never particularly creative myself i just really loved playing the instrument and learning other people's songs so a cover band was pretty much the natural progression and so when i did it three four nights a week for the first couple months i thought it was like the dream i was just like super happy to be doing it but then once i found that doing even what i thought i loved doing but doing it on someone else's terms whether or not i really felt like doing it that day and then doing it for yeah. money it created an entirely different scenario where now i had this pressure on me to do it and it became the thing that i was doing for a living and it kind of tainted it it almost kind of ruined it for me and not to mention how much it made me hate the songs that i was playing three to four nights a week like don't even get me into how much yeah. i hate fucking come on eileen now um, as much as I may have loved it before. <laughs> and what do you think is your take on that as far as like doing something that you love, but then having to do it for a living? And how do you think that taints it? If, if it does, I mean, maybe you have a different take on it than I do. I mean, I definitely have a, I, I understand where you're coming from, and but I do have a different take on it. I think that there are just, there are people in the world who are driven to create because of something inside of them. 
And that is a totally different entire like genre of thing than being drawn to like playing a musical instrument and like totally loving jamming out and learning other people's songs and being in a cover band, not to take away from the musicianship of that at all. No, I mean, there's, in- there's, there's very little, don't you can shit on all you want. Like there's very little as far as being in a cover band. It's a very interesting parallel to me. For me, I started as a DJ, purely a DJ playing only other people's music. I was not drawn doing what I do because I felt an innate uh, desire to produce music. I was drawn to it because I liked to play other people's records and what I did with them to me, like created something, this experience for people that I felt created joy for people in a way that was very synergistically beneficial to both people. And that is what drew me to do the thing. So I understand in in the one sense of like, not necessarily whatever, but there's just people who are also drawn to just create things. So there, there's like many different types of people in the world and people like me, because of the, what drove me to do the thing. And because I am, my mind is built a certain way where it's like, I've always had trouble doing anything that I don't care about, like pay attention to subjects that don't interest me, like whatever. But anything that I am passionate about, I am like single-mindedly focused on it. And like there was just never any question in my mind. I just, and I'm not a confident person and I don't have an ego. I was raised like my parents like fucked my head up and I just have a lot of like problems from that. But the one thing I ever knew was like, once I understood what DJing was, I was like, I was put on this fucking earth to do this thing and I'm just going to do it. And I just did it. And I just did it and I did it. And then it was a thing that made me money and I just kept doing it. And I did everything like I took stock of the situation and enthusiastically signed up for every piece of bullshit required to make sure that I could make the money to do it. And 20 years in, yeah, there's some things about it that are, you know, distasteful to me or whatever. But the at the core, I never lost the joy for what it is, just literally, I can come into my living room, there's nobody here, and I feel the same joy just DJing in my living room as I do when someone pays me money to do the thing. It never tainted it for me in that way. Like, yes, it was very much a struggle, and it was very, it's been so hard over so many years when, like, things don't go the way, and, like, you get so close, and you have certain levels of success, and then some bullshit fucking serendipitously snatches it all from you when you're just thinking like it's all going to happen or whatever. But it's like at the end of the day, I don't have kids. I never chose. That wasn't a path I wanted to pursue. I don't even have that thing in my brain. Like I'm well past the age of like kid having. And it's like, I just had a different thing in life that called me to do it. And I think people who have a mindset like me, it's very easy for you to do this not easy in the sense that it's, you're going to have an easy life, but it's easy because you just don't even have a choice. Whereas if you have other things that draw you to things in life, like you want to have a family and you want to raise kids, like even just something as basic as that will destroy the thing because you, you, mm-hmm. that's more important. You need to raise your family. You need to pay for your child to like be taken care of. And like it can wipe out the joy. The joy becomes less the factor. You cannot way that is high because you your priorities have shifted in a different way and your mind is just set up in a different perspective just towards the activity to begin with so i think that i'm sorry to be long-winded about that but <laughs> no i mean that wasn't long-winded at all i think you made a lot of really good points and you know i, I mean just i would say 
even before I had started having kids, I was already kind of disillusioned with what I was doing, you know, personally, um, because I knew that I was never going to own a house. Even if my goals hadn't been to start a family, I just knew that I was never going to make enough money to really have a consistent living, just doing what I was doing. But what's that? That that completely makes my point. What I was saying that like in the back of your mind, like something about owning a house was a goal for you that you were so you wanted that house and you knew you couldn't get it doing the thing you were doing. You know, but some people are just like, I don't care if I have a house, I'm doing the thing that I love to do. And if I'm poor forever doing it, like, so be it. I'm happy because I'm doing the thing I love to do. And I'm so excited to do it every time I get to do it. Even if I had to fly for 15 hours and it fucking sucked and I have food poisoning (laughs) and I want to die and I have a migraine and I'm like, it's 20 degrees. You're just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. It's like a spiritual experience that, you know, if you don't have that, I think that's when... Not to say that you never had that. I'm just saying if you can't, if that's not a thing that sustains you in life, you know, if you find yourself drawn to like want to own a house or like have a family or anything, just find a different career, be more stable, not not in a pejorative way, just in a like, these are options and everyone like you choose different paths and they take you where they take you. Yeah, I agree. I, I think my like experience in the music industry started more like reeds and and i think i accidentally tainted it you know carrying into it you know i grew up in like death metal bands and early on i found out that i just really loved being on stage and performing and by the time i was you know getting in my early 20s i got into djing this was you know when top 40 you know clubs were the the shit to do poly d was like everyone wanted to see you know perform for whatever fucking reason and i got into top 40 djing and i got a couple residencies and and realized hey you know they're they're paying me a, a couple hundred bucks to come out and actually have a great time and i just loved being on stage like i would have done it free no one had to pay me to do it i just loved that moment and as i got better and better at djing i just I couldn't get enough of it. And then, you know, I started making my way to the EDM scene and I, I met guys like MJ Lee of Kingdom Rave, who I'm sure you're familiar with, Glenn Goodhand of, you know, Imagine Music Festival and Iris. And these guys were super supportive of me at a very early stage when I w- really didn't even have any talent, but I, they just kind of liked having me around. And I'm like, you know, fuck it, whatever. I'll be one of those DJs who will go pass out fucking flyers for you and help put heads in the building. Like, I just, I wasn't too proud. And I just wanted to perform. And, and they helped and let me do that. And it's like, like, like you were saying, I had no desire really to make music at all. I just wanted to be on stage. And... I started making like remixes and edits and as I kind of saw, you know, people enjoy that and other DJs come up like, Hey, can I get that edit? You know, that made me feel really good. And that's when I started thinking, you know, maybe I I should look into producing and you know, that's where my pyramid scheme EDM group came from uh, with, with me and my ex partner. And, you know, we had a great run. We, we play, you know, we toured all over, we played some big festivals, you know, I got probably my biggest placement was like a $5,000 placement through Mad Decent. And for a little fucking nobody artist, like getting a $5,000 paycheck was pretty dope. You know, at my best touring, I may have been doing like 1000 $1,500 a night. But, you know, some of these DJs make ridiculous amounts of money. But I was at least doing enough that we were able to pay our bills. We were able to pay our rent. You know, I never would have been able to, you know, buy a house unless I landed like a major label deal. I mean, most of these labels like Mad Decent, they really only 
prop you up until they can talk you into ghost producing for Diplo. <laughs> Not to open that can of worms. But, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're like little fucking mini factories and that's what they want to do. And I just, I got burnt out of it. I realized early on that at some point when I really started working with these labels and I really started, okay, how am I going to pay rent this month? And, and I really turned it into a business. I, at some point I accidentally became a business owner and not a producer or a DJ anymore. And at one day I was just like, I'm not enjoying this. Like I do still enjoy that hour on stage. And it's funny, like even when we were producing like tons of music, you know, with Ying Yang Twins, Rich Homie Kwan, Snoop Dogg, fucking T-Pain, just killer fucking uh, features on, on our records. I still wouldn't even play that shit live. Like I wanted to play other people's music. It brought me full circle to basically my fucking top 40 DJ days where I'm like, yo, here's a dope track I heard that I want you to hear. And you know, at some point I realized that what I'm doing now, I really don't even like anymore. And I was like, I'd rather step out of the industry and just DJ a homies nightclub on occasion. Just when I have that itch. And that, that, that was kind of like where it went downhill for me. It's really cool to hear uh, the, how you got into that for that joy and just that, that love of, of performing or whatever it is. Like for you, it's performance. You know what I mean? For me, I was like, it yeah. always messed up my head when it became about being on stage and performing and people were looking at you. Like when I started, no one would look at you. You were in a dark corner and that's what I loved about it. And like, you're just <laughs> like, Oh, I'm on stage. It's so amazing. I'm like playing the top 40. Like it's so cool yeah. to just hear everyone's people have different experiences with music and art. And that's like the beauty of it is just like, it's meant to like create joy in some fashion. And, but yeah, if it ends up in a place where it doesn't anymore, that's when you know it's time to stop doing it because it's like you lost the thing and that's the only thing that matters about it. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a really good point. And I think that comes down to the distinction between people who are content with being real artists, uh, whether or not society values them and gives them the credit that they're due or not. Um, because that's really what it is. Like I obviously was not creating art. I was playing other people's music and I was just doing it for a living. But I mean, th that also applies to people, even if they're making original art, like you could find yourself in a position where you have to decide whatever your art form is, whatever your media is, whether it's like you could be making arts and crafts on Etsy, you could be like drawing cartoons of your favorite anime style, but you may find yourself in the position where if you want to actually make a living at it, that you now have to draw pornographic images that you don't really find tasteful by um, commission for some weebs online for some like, you know, fucking <laughs> assholes on 4chan who wants you to draw. <laughs> yeah, like just look whatever. Like you could end up drawing some like pornographic images that make you sick, but you got to do it because you got to pay for your mortgage or whatever. Like that's just how it comes down in the, in the capitalist system. And I like to think that like, we as leftists are able to see both sides of it and value both sides of it. Like we are able to appreciate people who choose to do art for art's sake because they love it so much and whether or not they make a living at it is inconsequential. And then people who also just realize that they have to make that compromise and do what is going to make them some money because we live in the system that we live in. And I don't feel like either of those are inconsistent with what we view as leftists as the situation that we're in. Yeah, so. Yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, we're all thrown into this fucking capitalist hell world where every goddamn thing we do has got to put money in our pocket or we're not going to make it. 
And that's the problem. If, if we were living in a world where we weren't so strapped and we didn't have to worry about how the fuck I'm going to pay a guy to live in this house who does not live in this house, that because some fucking bank, you know, has a mortgage with him, that I should pay him every time I do any type of labor. We're just stuck in this fucking system where we have to pay so many things and we're, we're held down. It is very difficult to have a real career and also be an artist. So, so many artists have to try to turn their artwork into a career because it's the only way. That's true. I mean, that's not, a, not, you're not wrong. You don't have to, but like if you, sometimes if that's what you want to do, like if you want to be a top 40 DJ, you're probably going to have to like take a lot of L's on some things because that's just. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's different. You play like if some you're trying to be a DJ, you're gonna play like some shitty shows with nobody there in a bunch of cities. Like you have to pick and choose your battles with what what you can put up with in terms of like to get the money yeah. that I need to live and do my art. What is my limit of what I will put up with? With some people, it's like, yeah, like I could have yeah. posed for Playboy and made all this money, or like you could be an EDM yeah. DJ, or you can be on Mad Decent and ghost produce for Diplo and like find a lane that way, <laughs> or you can just be yeah. like. Someone that gets their music license, like gets signed to like a Cobalt publishing deal and just, you no one ever hears of them and you never get to tour, but you get to make music as a living and just make catalog music and have your shit synced all day. You know, so many different ways to do it. So it just like, if you can, if you can maintain the joy in it enough to find your way financially with it, you know, more power to you. That's like, I mean, I just like, if we had a system where there we actually did, you know, kind of set a minimum where housing was a right, where healthcare was a right, where food was a right, where water was a right, where you literally can just live. And if you want to, you know, go further than that, we've talked about this in the past that, you know, communism and even the USSR was a fucking meritocracy. The more you put in, uh, what was it called? A staccatovite. The more you put in, the better position you had, the more resources you were given, the more you could do, the more time you could take off from your job. And it would just be nice to see a, a country where we did at least have that, you know, bar where even if you just were a lazy piece of shit, you weren't a lazy piece of shit dying in the rain, laying on, on the fucking ground. I mean, we got 1.5 million vacant homes and 500,000 homeless people. We can solve this and have a million vacant homes still. It's fucking nuts. That's seriously like facts. And then you could you could then do fucking art for art, which is what all artists should do art for. I wasn't one of those types of artists, and that's what ruined it for me. Just going to say, like, that's why the Soviet Union had more farmers that went into space than the U.S., because they just guaranteed a basic standard of living that everyone was guaranteed. And then you were able to you were just free to pursue the studies that you wanted to pursue. And then if that led you to go into space, even if you grew up on a freaking farm in the Ukraine, you could do it. Not to, you know, I, I feel like that puts a, a good wrap up on the episode. I feel like it's a good place to tie it up, um, you know, for this <laughs> podcast. Like just, I will add that the, the U.S. could not even get to the moon without fucking Nazi scientists. <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's try and wrap it up there. Uh, Reed, anything you would like to plug? Anything you want to tell us about people where they can reach you and find you on social media? Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I'd love to tell people that every Sunday at noon Pacific Standard Time, I go live on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Reedspeed TV for a little show I call The Bass Station, where I, my husband and I play drum and bass, and we have some, he does really trippy visuals, and it's pretty cool. And every month, Very I do cool. a mix series podcast called No Speed Limit. 
and that is on SoundCloud. You can find me on every social network at ReadSpeed. And that's R-E-I-D-S-P-E-E-D for anybody listening. Except the Twitch, it's ReadSpeed TV, all one word. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's actually something I wish we had got a little more into. Um, If there's any topic I could say that we missed is that I, I wanted to ask you a little more about like how COVID had affected your performances and obviously it's definitely i'm sure taking a toll on live performances of course (laughs) and i'm sure that's just something i wish we'd ask you a little more about just like how you've made the transition into doing zoom performances rather than like live shows and stuff like that i mean i i'll try to keep it quick but honestly for me i i got really lucky got so lucky fell into a job working on a project that involves dj mixes for apple November of 2019. And I took this job just to see if I could hack it in corporate culture, doing something that I still seem like something that relates to what I love to do. And I fell in love with Mm -hmm. the job. I fell in love with the, everything about just having a job. I've never known regular schedule. I've never known stability in my (laughs) life. And it just absolutely has like rewired my brain to appreciate the schedule and just even the work that I do, I love it. It's amazing. But I got so lucky because I fell into this job. And then immediately I played my last gig, March 12th at Respect, Drum and Bass Club in Los Angeles. March 13th, they sent yeah. us home from work. We haven't been back to work. We've been working from home since. But I've been freaking employed this whole time. Like I, I almost like cry every day just thinking like how lucky I am that I fell into this position, that this all just lined up and that I'm still able to do all of this live streaming shit from home and like just still enjoy DJing on the same level. Like obviously, yeah, it would be great to get back to playing real shows with people, but I'm totally a germaphobe. I always was like wearing masks before COVID (laughs) because I'm like allergic to everything and people are always (laughs) always like, grossed out and I'm like oh I don't have to like be I can, I can just be germaphobic at home alone and play yeah, my music. yeah yeah being germaphobic in the rave scene is challenging dude the fucking plague of my existence playing in the cover band was people spilling their drinks on my pedal board like every oh. fucking night that would happen the worst I've lost two laptops. Yes. Oh. One was my own fucking dad. My fucking dad comes up behind. He's like, I got Vegas bombs. <laughs> and it drops like three Vegas bombs on my laptop mid show. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. Wait, what's a Vegas bomb? <laughs> it's like a fucking horrible shot with like Red Bull and fucking peach schnapps. Ew. Like, it's, it's terrible. Ew. I have no idea why he drinks these. <laughs> All right. Horrible. I mean, he's from Georgia. He's excused, I guess, for peach snuffs. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a, a rare breed in this industry where I've never really been a big drinker. Like, I don't mm. ever got involved in like the whole, I partied when I was a teenager. By the time I had a job as a DJ, I was already done with all of that. So I've always just been the weird, like sober yeah. person that's like, hey, man, you got some weed. Like, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. go yeah. to the after party. Yeah. <laughs> go anywhere. Yeah. Yep. I hate I hate drinking. Drinking's the worst. Anybody drinks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like my early DJ career, I was pretty into drug use and I got pretty bad. Uh, and then by the time that I, you know, started my pyramid scheme group, I was completely sober because 
when I quit the, the harder things, I could not drink alcohol because it would give me that itch. So I went clean sober from everything for like three years. So my entire, you know, electronic career, I was 100% sober at every club, which was very different from, you know, my prior DJing experience. But now I can socially drink. I, you know, I, it's not that big of a deal. I haven't had the itch in years. So please stay that way. Based. For you that you found a happy medium, you know, sometimes people, some people can't find that. And like, it just whatever, you know, be healthy, yeah. be good to each other. Yeah. I just have a beer or two if I'm uh, grilling or if we're doing the podcast. Grilling is the thing. You gotta have a beer if you're grilling. <laughs> I was gonna fuck with you, Reed. I was gonna say, like, oh, so you found that crew with Apple, so what you're saying is you sold out. <laughs> I literally I'm, did. I'm, I'm I bought it. And I'm so happy about it. It's amazing. Like, the project is so dope. Like, I wish I could talk more about it, but it's like, we're just contractors. Like, I don't, technically, I don't even work for Apple. I yeah. just, like, do work for Apple yeah. at Apple, but not. It's really weird. Yeah. But we do yeah. all the DJ. Is. I can say that much. We, uh, if you ever go on Apple Music and see DJ mixes there, there's a good chance that like I cut that mix and like put all the metadata there. Hell yeah, that's because we're paying people. That's like the dope part about it is like it's the first time that DJ yeah. mixes have been streamable with cut tracks with the correct uh, artist information, and everyone's getting paid. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, cool. I was I, I was going to be totally that. fucking with you if I said that because obviously you've proved yourself as more of an artist than any of us, you know, here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like not even a real artist. Like there's real people who would die for their art. And like I got into producing because it was a function of wanting to play shows because I love DJing so much, like, but I'm really bad at yeah. producing and like I struggle with it. And because I have like self fucking issues, like I always like hate myself. Like I didn't send my tunes to any labels for so many years until this girl from Atlanta, Callan HK. I don't know if you know her. Hi, Callan. Oh yeah. That was, yeah, that's my homie. I saw her get signed to Ram Records and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? Wait, wait, this girl's like 22. Like, why didn't I just like send my shit to them? Like, really put the fire. And I was like, I should just do this. And then, oh, I started getting songs on like labels. And then, I don't know, like, broke my mind. As soon as people validated me, I was like, oh, I can't do this. It's so hard. Art is hard. Yeah. It is. All right, cool. Struggle is real. Let's uh, wrap up the rest of the plugs. Sterling, you want to go ahead and plug the Twitter? Oh, yeah. Uh, come follow us on Twitter. It is I have not currently deleted it, as you guys have been showing me a little bit of love, so I'm going to stay on it right now. <laughs> at Turn Leftist, right? Isn't that what it is? Turn Leftist Pod. Else? I don't even fucking... No, at Turn Leftist Pod. Come on, Thank bro. you. I should know that. <laughs> uh, sorry, my coffee's wearing off. I'm no longer looking to fist fight God. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Ward. Yeah, my main account's at Ward Lawley, W-A-R-D-L-A-W-L-E-Y, and my backup is at Millennial Leftist. Hell yeah. Dude, I mean, Ward has, like, some of the funniest shit. Like, he finds all the shit before I can, I can even find it. Like, that's... I'm know. good at it. <laughs> and then uh, for Jaron, we will plug his website. That's J-A-R-O-N-P-A-R-L-M-A-N.com, JaronPerlman.com. And then for Cosper, we'll plug his Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Cosper, C-O-S-P-E-R underscore Cosper, not Casper, not like the friendly ghost. He's the specter of communism <laughs> haunting all of us. Uh, I mean, uh, other than that, is, you think Cosper's like fully dove into communism at this point? I mean, he's he's still pretty democratic. No, he's in the, he's in right? the DSA. He's still a rabid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got to give him hell. And, you know, all love to the DSA. <laughs> yeah. 
Although when we have Jamie, when we have Jamie Penn on next month, she's gonna do give us all the dirt I on DSA because she has been wait. dishing all that tea. Oh, it's gonna be good. She's pissed. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough, Reed, for coming on tonight. This was fantastic. That was awesome. Thanks for having me. It was really fun talking to you guys. It was an awesome hell discussion. Yeah. I'm really glad to have been a part of it. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Absolutely. Please come back anytime you want. If there's any other topics you feel like you want to discuss, just reach out to us. You know, no problem at all. We will have you on anytime you'd like. Yeah. I'll definitely stay in touch with you and let you know, like, you know, if, if something's coming up that I think it will be an interesting topic, I'll reach out and say, hey. Okay. Very much. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks everyone for all listening. Right. And uh, please tell a friend if you like the podcast, give us some good reviews on iTunes and whatever podcast app you listen on. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Peace out. You guys have a great night. Thanks again. Right. See you. All right. Have a See good you guys. One. Take care.